the Smorgasbord. It's a brand new comics podcast. I am the all new, all unique Tom Shapira, and with me is... Hello, I am Fire and Life Incarnate. Now and forever, I am Sean. <laughs> yes, uh, this uh, comics podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Seekport, the best online source for comics criticism and critique, and the best on-your-shelf source for comics criticism and critiques. Yep. Buy their books, read their articles... Um, by their DVDs, like the Excellent Image Revolution uh, documentary mm-hmm. about the foundation of Image Comics in the 1990s, one of the best comic book documentaries I've ever seen. Yep. Yep. Like I said, I am Tom, and with me, my co-host... Hi, I'm Sean. Uh, yep. We, we sort again. of... We're looping. Yes, we're looping. We're like multiversity in that oh. way. We're sort of just like going around in circles here. Yes, okay. That, that's our second attempt at a pilot <laughs> episode. The first one is not so much lost to the ages yeah. as just... It's like the Lost. global. It's like the global frequency pilot. People are going to be talking about it for twenty years, but nobody's ever going to actually see it. Hopefully, people will be talking. About <laughs> well, it. and we're going to start yes. simply with the news. Mm-hmm. Uh, Interesting things this week. Yeah, you want to start with Mr. Moore or Mr. TNT? Let's go with TNT because this was something that I was legitimately surprised by. Yeah, uh, DC is pitching a new Titans TV show. Live action. Live action, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, along with the wave of, you know, recent uh, superhero slash comic book based uh, live action TV show. Constantine, The Flash, the continuation of Green Arrow. And Gotham. Hmm? Gotham. Yeah, and they're talking about Lucifer apparently, but that's still in the air. Oi. No. And now they're talking about a Titans TV show, not Teen Titans, Titans, and it's going to go for the TNT network for this, some reason. This is what blew me away. The fact that it's not a CW show. Because when you look at like DC's successes so far, if you can call them successes, because the actual quality of Smallville and Arrow is well, debatable. financial success. Financial, well, we, know, th- that's Smallville, debatable too. Smallville ran for 10 seasons. And it should have ended in one. But yes, <laughs> one episode. One episode should have been enough. But <laughs> I mean, so you, they have had their success, if you want to call it success, with the CW. And they're pitching this Titan series to TNT, which is not one of the biggest names in in terms of like you know television networks but it does suggest a sort of different uh uh gray a different caliber of of people working on it because you know CW actors I don't have to tell you are they're, they're good looking they're very good looking and they're with the f- with very few exceptions they're incredibly, incredibly limited. Like, I'm being charitable here as nice as I possibly can. They're limited in terms of, you know, what they can do. Yeah. Tom Welling, who was, like, Superman, Superman was basically, like, you know, stand there, be pretty, t- tear your shirt off every now and then, and, he, and that's it. He was it. very good at it. He was know? very good it's at not, it. And it's, he, not, it's not his fault. There was actually, I think... No, it's the casting one, director's fault. No, I actually saw one or two episodes where they actually wrote, you know, stuff for him to do. Oh, God. And... He was actually okay in that, you know, not great, but, you know... I've seen him try to cry. It ain't pretty. No, no, doing comedy. comedy Uh, Well, you know, maybe. Uh, But, I mean, so, like, there's a certain cliche that's attached to the CW network, and deservedly so at this point. TNT, though, I don't know what to expect. Yeah, the thing thing is this. It's a superhero live-action show for television, Mm -hmm. and it's not going to look good. Because they still haven't cracked... The money formula. Unless you're do, you're willing to go the HBO route of we'll do it a million dollars per episode and we'll do it large, it's always going to look like 
I think that second second rate. I think that really depends, though, on what they intend to do. Like, for example, what, what they haven't. It's Titans. It's not. It's not. You know, who? low down crime drama. Who are the Titans, though? Uh, that's a good question. Well, obviously, they're not going to use. If it's the not team Starfire, it's, no, but it's not going to be Robin because it could. A, it could be no, Nightwing. It's probably not going to be Nightwing. It's probably not going to be any of the Batman characters because why would DC sell it to another network? If they could launch a Batman TV show, they would launch. They a well, they are, but that didn't yeah, exactly yeah, work out for them okay. either. Yeah, without Batman. Oh, he's and in it's there. It's probably not going to be Wonder Girl because they have this the Wonder Woman appearing in their movie, and it's probably not going to be Kid Flash because they have the Flash TV show. So it's going to be the Also Reds, uh, Raven, Starfire. Uh, yeah, Beast I mean, Boy. Beast Boy. Well, they could Terry do, Long. They could do. Oh God, no, no, no! Why do you, you know, that's no? A, that's a joke for Teen Titans, nineteen eighties. Yeah, like an entire games. generation of listeners are just like, no, he said the name, no. But I mean, this is the thing, though. Like, I wonder if that might be to their advantage too, because if you're dealing with a bunch of B-listers, who, I mean, how many people really care about Raven? You know, eh, whatever. All the people who grew up on the animated TV show, she was. The but those star are two. Di- yeah, but those are two very different things. Well, they grew up. You know, that TV show was yeah. like ten years ago. They're old enough to watch. Uh, yeah, but it's. I mean. I, I grew up on the, the, uh, Paul uh, Dini and, and, uh, Bruce Tim, uh, Batman, Batman animated yeah. series, so no other version does it for me, but like, I, I understand the bias, but I'm saying on the other hand, like, if they're doing a bunch of B-listers, that could potentially free them to sort of reinterpret and, and, and redefine these characters in a way that could work for like a relatively low budget television series. Like they could do what was the name of that storyline? You you know, the uh the, the Judas contract. contract. You knew what I was talking yeah, about yeah, before I, mean, I even said it. When you say a Teen Titan storyline It's the Judas contract. Yeah. So like you know they could do something like that on a season long scale and have it work just by looking at the reactions of the characters, right? Yeah, but it, it depends. Again, the thing is budget. It's mm-hmm. a big problem. I'm sorry, you know sure. the Shield T V show Looked, looked pretty bad, especially um, when they were trying to do to be more than NCIS Marvel, which they failed even at that. Agents and, of Shield, though, it could have worked. They're supposed to, those are supposed to be an action shows, yeah. but they're not because you looked at, you look at an episode of Arrow and it's the most boring, dull thing. You know, yeah. he stands, he spins around, you know, the villain, and they're talking to each other, and I'm like, shoot him. Mm-hmm. Shoot him with your bow and arrow. You're not, you're not going to shoot him. I'm trying to think if there's been like a live-action superhero series where the action content actually worked. Um, Depends how you define a superhero show. Because if you're talking about something based on actual comics characters, classic yeah. Marvel and DC, something like I that. can't think of anything like that. I not mean, Smallville, not the, well, not Smallville the, had not a different original, problem. Not the original Flash series. Certainly not well, Birds oh, no, of Prey. No, no, no. Listen, for, for the sake of argument, let's say nothing before 1995, because that was a different perception of, of comics. I mean, like, you wouldn't look at the Linda Carter Wonder Woman series yeah. and be like, you know, why isn't she punching this guy's head off? What are you talking about? What's your options than Mutant X? No, Mutant X is never an option. Even if, like, you know, if it's like you're stuck with like Jack Nicholson as the Joker and he's like, do you want to try Mutant X or do you want to try, you know, Joker brand? Take Joker brand. You know, it, it's still like, you'll still have a better outcome. Let's, don't even go there. Yeah. But I mean, um, I, I can't think of anything because like, this is the thing. On the level of just pure action, right? 
you don't necessarily have to have the highest budget in the world. Look at Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you know. Though that was a series that, you know, did not was not rolling around in money, but they did manage to have like some pretty decent fight scenes almost every episode. And the premise there wasn't like I mean it was sort of like you could make the argument that she's sort of like a superhero figure, yeah, but yeah, but I mean, you know, you if you if you had that kind of like emphasis on action scenes uh, uh, where, you know, it's it's more like hand-to-hand combat and, and stuff like that, uh, which Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. tried to do, but that show failed for, like, other reasons. Clark, Clark Gregg? Rick Clark? Clark Gregg. Clark Gregg. He's a fine actor. He's not a leading action oh, hero. I, I think we're actually probably going to bring up uh, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in a, like, okay. a greater context in a minute, but, okay. I mean, like, for, for the moment, just to, like, to to go back to the to the original point is like TNT does not have to throw you know millions of dollars at Titans to make it work on some level. It's never going to be like you know Teen Titans flying off into space fighting Darkseid or or whatever, right? It's not even going to be like the animated series. Live action Darkseid. That's a scary thought. Get Michael Ironside, paint his face gray. Your problem is solved. That's you look it. at Michael Ironside, you don't have to paint anything. You don't have to look at Michael Ironside. You just have to, ha- you know, open your mouth and speak. <laughs> Everyone's gonna be like, yeah, okay. Andre Dar- Brewer could be a great dark side. Oh my god. I think he voiced him in one of those direct to DVD. That would be animated. amazing. Yeah. That would, that would absolutely be amazing. Yeah. Live action dark side, Andre Brewer. Sure. Yeah. I'm for it. Go. So, um, I'll probably check out the first episode of this Titan show, even though, like, I'm not a Titans fan. I'm not really into it. But, like, if they have the freedom to reinterpret the characters in a way that makes them accessible without, like, you know, going into Starfire's whole backstory, which is crazy, <laughs> even by comic book standards, you know, it's insane. So, if, if they can just be, like, ground zero, let's start from the top. I say give it a shot. One episode. We'll see what happens. Uh, the other big news is a two-parter, an Alan Moore two-parter. Yes. Uh, Alan Moore is back. He's never left. You know, yeah. he's still doing... He should have had a vacation and left he's us all alone. He's still doing League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Uh, what was the last Lego League of... Lego, Heart of Ice, I think. And before that? The Century 1919 uh, trilogy. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Okay. And, you know, people seem to like them. I stopped caring for League after <laughs> for the first volume. But, exactly. You know, it, you know, I stopped caring. You stopped caring. You weren't alone in that. Yeah, but a lot of people yeah, I mean, loved it. Uh, anyway, he, what's okay. Alan Moore doing? Two, yeah, thing. two things. First one, his second novel, which has been in talks for almost a decade now, called mm-hmm. Jerusalem, has finished first draft, and it's a long first draft, about six, One million no, 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 words. No, 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 no. They, first they said one million, and then they changed it 600,000 words, which is... It's a lot, okay, but it's not. It's not huge. It's shorter than. Clarissa. It's still huge. It's shorter than Clarissa. Who reads Clarissa anymore? English lit students. English lit students. Like yeah, us. not one of them enjoys it. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. you don't. You don't go home at the, at the end of the day, and he's like, "I can't wait to reread Clarissa for all the new meanings I'll find in it." No, and the novel is going to be apparently. Sort of like his first one. Have you read The Voice of the Fire? I have it. I haven't gotten around to reading it yet, okay. which tells you like where it is on my list of priorities. But... Uh, anyway, it's supposed to be a tale set throughout thousands of thousands of years of human okay. history in a very small part of Northampton. Hmm. And Voice of the Fire was a tale set thousands of thousands of years throughout human history in all of Northampton. Right. Um, I've read The Voice of the Fire. Okay. It's not bad, but the thing is, Moore's 
formulistic brilliance doesn't translate as well to literature as it does to comics. Right. It, it translates to a degree, because the man, you know, even when you hate him, you, you can't deny his sheer talent. Well, I don't think anybody hates him. I mean... No, but a lot of people don't like words. Well, okay, well, I'll, 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 I'll get into that, yeah. And there are a lot of times throughout the novel where you're saying, well, he's doing it because he can, because... Okay. He's doing he's doing certain things because he wants to, not because it's good for the story. Did the you enjoy story, it as a reader? Like, did you parts of it? Because every chapter is different, you know. Right. And the first chapter is in caveman speak because it sets in ye okay. old caveman days, and it's so annoying. And it's a gimmick, and it's yeah. an annoying gimmick, and it's daring the reader to, to put it down, basically <laughs> to the reader. I'm smarter than you. Can you handle what I'm doing? And I almost put it down, but that was a lot earlier when, for me, Alan Moore was the be-all and the end-all yeah. of Geniuses. And, and yet I, you made I, it through Multiversity, which has the exact same gimmick. Well, we, well never We mind. talked about Multiversity yeah. in the unaired pilot. The unaired pilot. Yeah. Uh, but, okay, I mean... It's interesting. It's an interesting project, and, and like... Ambitious, you know, more that's is never more. less than ambitious. That's yeah. more, you know. Yeah. He's always going to be, like, the guy who thinks big. Yeah. Uh, I, I will get around to reading Voice on the Fire someday. I will probably not be reading Jerusalem because, like, nothing that... This is the thing. The the What made the news headlines was the fact that it was, like, over a million words long. But and I'm it's like, the first draft. Okay, you know, it but... It probably would be shorter. Okay, it's like... I don't, I don't know anything about this book that would cause me to think, like... I, gotta put it at the top of my to-do list, you know, must For read this novel. For a lot of people, the fact that it's Ellen Moore is enough. Well... That brings us to our second uh, okay. uh, Alan Moore announcement, which is that uh, his next uh, comic book project, uh, just saying it is making me like depressed, uh, he's doing a crossed miniseries for Avatar Press. Crossed is the Avatar Press zombie universe? Uh-huh. Zombie series, which has been under the hands of Multiply writers. You, you had uh, Garth Ennis, who started all, then uh-huh. you had Cy Sperrier. David Latham, uh, the guy who first did Hellblazer, uh, Jamie Delano. Jamie Delano. Who, if I remember correctly, he left it in a half because he thought the covers that they gave his stories were too graphic. No kidding, right? Because um, Avatar Press has a reputation for being, like, you know... The house of good taste. Listen, whenever I try to imagine, like, you know, uh, uh, one of their writers, one of their artists, like, giving a project, I keep thinking of, like, you know, this 10-year-old kid who's like, Look, Mommy, I can draw dead bodies! Yay! Okay. I mean, it's uh, not edgy, I, it's not interesting. I rather like Avatar in principle. Okay. Because it's the place where there is no censorship. And a, and a writer and an artist can do, again, in theory, mm-hmm. whatever they like. Okay. The problem with that is... That they can do whatever they like. Whatever they like is often the same thing, which is blood and gore yeah. and naked women. And suffering through blood and gore. They still have a lot of good projects. You know, Cersei, mm. Cersei by Warren Ellis is one of his best things, as far as I'm concerned. The Never short, even heard of it. It's a short story about the battle between the English and the French in Cersei. Mm. It's an historical drama, no fantasy, no nothing. Okay. It's very good. Uh, well, they did publish one of his, um, was it Dark Blue, Deep Blue, something like that? Deep Blue. It was okay. And Freak Angels, which was his webcomic, yeah. which also came out for them, was pretty good. 
there was the sci-fi series that he did. Uh, oh, that sci-fi series that he did. The one the lady with the laser guns, I don't know. That oh, one. Mercury something. Yeah, Anna Mercury. Anna Mercury. Which Anna was Mercury. Fun. It was, it was fun. okay, but, And you know. Karen Gillan's Uber is still coming out. I've only read the first issue. It gets good reviews from friends of mine still. I'm like... Uh, well, when it comes, I mean, Kieran Gillen gets good reviews consistently. Having read some of his stuff, I couldn't tell you why. It's a very different series for Kieran Gillen. There's no pop music in Uber. Oh, There's boy. Nazis and I tanks mean... and blood and gore. Okay. Well, there was no so, Tumblr okay. back then, so there's uh, really nothing again, I like, I like Evidor in principle. In performance, I like them a lot less. Yeah. A lot less, but I still... I think there's a place for Avatar in the market. I, I I would agree with that only in the sense that, you know, it's the outlet for... I mean, this is really like... The, the, the point of criticism that I have towards it is that it's so immature. Like, you know, it's the most basic, redundant, boring shock tactics of like, let's eviscerate people and like, let's rape everybody and then let's like, you know, uh, cannibalism and like, basically do all of like the really, really sick stuff but they, it's done in such a way as to just be gratuitous. And I'm like, if you're just being gratuitous, then there's no point to any of it. Like, uh, I, I was talking to a bunch of fellow comics critics on the internet, and mm-hmm. one of my points about Avatar was, we don't know how history will judge that, because as far as we know, in several decades' time, it could be like one of those 1920s extremely racist early movies, like The Birth of a Nation, and people would say, how could people like that? How could people even allow that to exist? Or it it could be in Mm -hmm. 40 years' time, it could be like Taxi Driver. How could people dare censor it? How couldn't they see the brilliance and the critique of the violence in modern society? We don't know. We we don't know. I mean, the problem that I have with that argument is just that, you know, when you talk about something like Birth of a Nation, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. Right. It was not the only work produced at that time that you could look at it and be like, dude, kind of racist. Right. Yeah. So it, 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 so it's very, but here it's like, you know, I wouldn't want historians of the future, whoever they may be, to look at Avatar and think, well, you know, that's what was being done in comics because Avatar is really sort of like the exception. Everyone else sort of worked through their gratuitousness after the whole Mark Miller thing. Obviously, you're not reading Zenoscape. I'm not reading Zenescape because, you know, Nobody does. Who, who would bother? Yeah. But I mean, no, that's sort of like the, the idea of, you know, if we need one company to sort of channel all of the, like, negative point, stuff. pointless, uh, it's, listen, negative stuff you can handle. I mean, uh, um, Apro- we were speaking like before we started recording about, uh, Miracle Man, which we'll talk, yeah. we'll talk about it in a bit. But, you know, th- we're coming up on that issue, uh, like the fall of London. Oh, yeah. Which is incredibly violent and yeah. incredibly brutal and incredible. It has a point. You know, there, there's a reason that brutality is in there and it doesn't define the work as a whole. So that would be sort of the way to do it if you want to do it. Something like, um, you know, Mark Miller's authority where he's like, I'm going to rape this dude with a jackhammer just because. Woohoo. You know, it's like. Shock it's shock tactics that don't mean anything. And it's like, if, if people want to like get that out of their systems so they can do stuff that actually has a point, go to Avatar, get your, uh, you know, get your fix and come back fixed. Yeah. Although with Alan Moore. Yeah, we were back to that. I understand mm. why Alan Moore is going for Avatar because they'll publish anything that he does. And for a long time, they published not his stories, but rewrites of, you know, stuff that he wrote on the back of a napkin, you know, 
Ellen yeah. Moore's The Courtyard or Ellen Moore's Light of the Continent, you know. Sure. You wrote a short story for some anthology and they're like, can we have that? And he's, sure, sure. <laughs> he doesn't care. <laughs> but then he wrote uh, the one that broke you, I think, Neonomicon for Neonomicon. now. Neonomicon. Which was... Um, that was the comic... Where I stopped. Again, we're I, trying to be PG-13. No, I, no, no, no. I, I, it's I, hard to talk about the plot of Neonomicon and still be PG-13 because it's very explicit. Let, let me try. Let me okay. try. Okay. Well, this, this, but this like goes exact right back to the argument. Like it's explicit for no reason because you can describe the plot of the story without saying like what happens in it. But this was the comic where I stopped defending Alan Moore because I was, you know, like. I started reading comics with Chris Claremont and John Byrne, so that was sort of like what I expected. And then it wasn't even Watchmen. I don't remember which of of his uh, uh, comics I read first, but like you know from the big, the the big names. But that like blew me away. First time I read Watchmen, I was just like sitting there staring at it after I was done for like ten minutes and being like, "What was that? That was awesome. Who knew comics could be this good?" Right. So. Now, this was already, like, you know, mid-90s, so it's not like Alan Moore was at his peak back then either. But then, you know, you, you, you're you going through his stuff, and Top Ten was amazing. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, it, it, the, even that, that graphic novel that he did afterwards, the 49ers, 49ers, was fantastic. And Promethea, it had a lot of problems, but again, formalistic uh, brilliance. You know, okay. There were some pages in Promethea where I sat there and thought, how did they plan this? You know, he and, and yeah. Williams, and how did they thought about the Mobius Street page? And how could you? There's a lot of cleverness you in know, Promethea. In his mind, he's different. Yeah, but I mean, m- my problem with Promethea is that I read it after Joe Keating's Glory, so two different interpretations of like you know the theme, the the Wonder Woman archetype, so to speak, but. Keating's was better. I mean, yeah. it, you know, it wasn't a lecture. It was yeah, an you know, it was story. like it was a story, and it was a story that did what it was purporting to do, right? Yeah. I mean, they started in very similar points, but anyway, so like, so Alan Moore was getting progressively weirder as I was discovering like his earlier works, and this sort of built, you know, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I never cared for it, but yeah. like, I appreciate it for what it is. Fair enough. Lost Girls. Well, I'm like, okay. If there's one person in the world who has the right to do uh, 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 lesbian slash fiction, it's Alan Moore. Let him have it. You know, like I figured, okay, like if that's what, what he wants to do, fair enough. And then he did Neonomicon. And I read the first issue of Neonomicon and I'm like, okay, I am done. I first am issue, done. Nothing bad happened in the first issue. The first issue was where all the things no, happened. No, 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 oh, no. yes. The creepiness started in the second issue. Mm-mm. There's just, okay, I'm gonna, again, like PG-13, so here we go. I'm gonna try and explain my breaking moment with Alan Moore. It starts off as sort of like this crime procedural story, and these, these two detectives are infiltrating this supposed cult. They go into this underground chamber, and there's a pool, and everybody's getting naked, and there's start, you know, freaky times going on, and you think to yourself, okay, weird, but people who read comics, you know, American comics, have seen worse. And then they apparently figure out that she's a cop and it's just like, is it 12 pages or 14 like pages that. of abuse, rape, um, you know, let, let's call okay. it what it is. It's rape, you know, I mean, and, and like, not sort of like metaphorical, abstract, like, you know, there are ways to describe the scene that doesn't actually require like the full depiction of everything that's going on. 
It's graphic and it's long. And it's the first, half the comic, and I'm just like, aren't you and, done yet? And as someone who's read the whole series, the third issue is basically all of it. Yeah, well, I mean, and, but that's that's and a lot of people. It broke a little more for them. Yeah, they can, like you said, they can't defend it. They can't enjoy anything. I sort of understand what he was going for, as he said in interviews before. Please explain that. Yeah, what he, what he was trying to do, he said, Lovecraft, a guy who had a lot of homages and pastiches of his. Okay. But everybody always avoids the sexual connotation because Lovecraft seems to be disappeared. You know, for him, sex is a thing that doesn't exist, but it's all on the surface. So what Ellen Moore was wanted to do was to bring it up to the surface. Yeah. But... That was exactly the reason, though, that this comic broke so many people. Because... You know, when you look at, comparatively speaking, Ellen Moore has dealt with like themes of sexual abuse yeah, and rape Watchmen. before. Again. Watchmen. That scene with the hooded justice, no, not the hooded justice, uh, the comedian and uh, Silk Spectre yeah. lasted for what? Two pages? Yeah. And it was more about what was being implied than what was being shown on the page and like spelled out in narrative captions. So it's like th- there was, there's a degree of subtlety there. Which, I mean, that's the connection to Lovecraft, right? There's no, the reason that it's not over the top and that he doesn't describe like, you know, Cthulhu visibly like ripping people apart is because the whole point of Lovecraft is it's the horror that you don't see. That's the scariest thing. It's what you can't perceive with the naked eye. And then Ellen Moore comes in and he's like, yeah, let's do that. But with all the other stuff in there too. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to think how would the series turn out if it came out through. Uh, Vertigo Comics in the day, or Top Shelf. It read like Garth Ennis. I mean, I don't know who... It read like Avatar's Garth Ennis. Again, I think Garth Ennis, for example, is another writer who's a lot better when he's for a degree being censored. My favorite series of these is Hitman, and it's a PG-13 action rom. I mean, look, I like the pro. hmm? I like the pro. The pro is funny. Preacher, less so. Yeah, Preacher starts out good and loses its way. Yeah, because... There's a degree of diminishing returns here. Like, you know, how shocking and out there can you be on a monthly basis when people get used to your shtick and they're like, well, I guess I have and to shock them I, again. I love his Punisher run, all of it. Sure. When he's being told, you know, there's stuff where you, you can't do. Mm-hmm. Some writers need that. Not all writers. Yeah. Some writers can put a stop to themselves. Or and Alan writers... Moore used to be that kind of writer. Yeah. That's the thing. Not every idea he ever had, he did. And here it's just like, you know, he, because pretty much, I mean, at this point, I think, is Avatar the only company that's still willing to work with him? No, no. Top Shelf do, does. Top the, Shelf does. Top Shelf okay. does the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Okay, stuff. so, you know, I mean, and he doesn't have that many options. No, no. See, I don't think so. I think if Ellen Moore told any company, Marvel or DC or Dark Horse or Image, I want to do a series, they'll jump for it. He doesn't want to work with any other company. Because okay. Because of things that happened before any of us were born. Very, yeah. He, very grumpy about. Okay. I mean, I, I I understand that Alan Moore. I mean, you know, when you go back to that whole long-winded history of like, you know, yeah. all of the slights that DC and Marvel committed against him. It's not slights. A, a lot of it was yeah very justified. Yeah. I I would say like you know a lot of it is justified, but it's like you know it was twenty thirty years ago. Let it go already. Okay, let's, let's moving on. Yeah, Speaking let's of letting go, solicitations. solicitations my favorite time of the month because then uh, it tells me how much my wallet is going to be hurting in December. We want to start with Marvel, the big boy. Uh, we can sure. Let's start uh, with Marvel. Angela Esgard's Assassin Number One mm-hmm. by Kieran Gillen and Margaret Bennett, who yeah. write together, and Phil Jimenez and Stephanie Hans, artists. Mm-hmm. 
Phil Jimenez Arts on its own is a good reason to buy something, but I have no idea who's Stephanie Hans. Well, it's interesting that this is a four-person comic. Yeah, because that, that's a lot of people. It is a lot of people, but here's the thing. I mean, we brought up Gillen before. Gillen gets amazing reviews online. I read his journey into mystery. The damn thing kept getting interrupted every five minutes with like some other storyline. I think Journey to Mystery is great. I, I don't. For me, it's Marvel Sandman. No. And the fact that he has to deal with all the crossovers makes it even more impressive that he manages to keep it. That was the problem I had when I was reading it. Because okay. I read like, you know, Journey into Mystery. I, I only read that book. Like I was looking for Gillen's Run, right? Okay. So I'm reading it and it's like every three or four issues, something happens that like, okay... Either I fell asleep at the wheel and there are pages missing in this comic book, or like, you know, there are things happening in other books that Gillen isn't talking about, but the effects are playing in. So, and, but then, and after that was Young Avengers, which was a book that I should have loved because I really enjoyed Heinberg's run. And on the surface of it, Gillen had sort of like, you know, the same grasp of the characters. So I thought that was going to work, and wow, did that book See, I'm, make I'm no different. sense. I didn't really like Einberg's run. For me, it was okay, but I really like Gillen's run. Oh, I mean, artistically, it has a lot of merit to it, but, you know, I, I, I get to the end of that. Like, the whole Young Avengers uh, uh, arc that yeah. he did was sort of a follow-up to Journey into Mystery in the sense that, like, it's following Loki's yeah. character development. But you get to the end of it, and I'm like, so who was this person again, and why was it all connected? It's like I don't, I don't see how the dots connect, and and when and like you know, I I thought about it for a while because like I really did want to like his run. Okay, so Angela is about Angela. Angela yes. Who's about, who's oh God. That, yeah. <laughs> Are we gonna explain who Angela is? Oh my God. Okay, well we can try. No, no, no we're, because if we explain everything, we'll never Woo! finish the solicitation part. So it's an ongoing action series starring a B character that Marvel got off in yeah. the game in, in a legal agreement. So, sort of and like... S- and somewhat, so, for some reason, decided that she's a big deal. Well, I mean, look. She's not there, a big deal. She's not... A, well, she hasn't been a big deal until now. Like, yeah. where they go from here... This is the thing. Like, Gillen is co-writing this with Marguerite Bennett. I don't know who she is, but maybe she can, you know, sort of like tone down Gillen's more idiosyncratic plotting problems. And because this could work, you know, like, for example, one of the better collaborations in in last few years with Marvel was when Ed Brubaker and Matt Fraction did Iron Fist. Yeah. Matt Fraction on his own isn't always like amazing, but the two of them together, you know, sometimes it works. And here, uh, like Angela, um, let's forget everything that happened before she was brought into Marvel, because like you said, we'd be be here all day. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, she's Thor and Loki's uh, new half, sister. Yeah. Half-sister, I don't even know. She's an assassin, which I find interesting because, you know, uh, what has been defining Loki, Agent of Asgard so far is sort of like this whole... Spy thing. The spy uh, con thing. Conman. Yeah, conman. Like, you know, go complete these missions for the All-Mother and, and whatever. And she might be more of a, a sort of proactive and direct character. Marvel is really pushing, expanding the Thor universe for a long time, you know, yeah. Thor the Thor, and now you have the, the regular Thor, the mm-hmm. new ongoing series, you have the unworthy Thor, you have Loki, and you have Angela, so after the second, you know, for the after the first movie didn't work, now they're really pushing to expand the Thor universe, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, look, it could work as long as they don't do something as dumb as Fear Itself. 
because fear itself was also an attempt to sort of expand the cosmo the the mythology of like the Asgardians specifically. And wow, did it tank! I don't even remember the name of the snake god of fear or whatever his name was. Uh, he was Odin's half brother, whatever. Yeah. And it's like you know, it, the it, serpent he was... in Nordic mythology. Thor has brothers. Could you not have just taken one of them? Well, let's not. We're okay, going to criticize so, fear itself. So let's no. just hope this will get yeah. a comic series, an actual funny series. That would be nice. Uh, Volstag's uh, Asgard's cook. Sure, sure, sure. Why not? Yeah. You know, Volstag has a cooking show. <laughs> I, I, I would be, I would buy every issue of that. Okay. Uh, the other big launch is Aha. Spider-Man and the X-Men number one. That is not what I thought you were going to say next. <laughs> okay. But okay, let, let's let's talk by about that. Elliot Kalan and mm-hmm. Marco Fayella. Yeah. Uh, so Spider-Man and the X-Men replaces Wolverine and the X-Men. Yeah. Peter Parker comes to work at the Jean Grey Academy as a guidance counselor. Because which... <laughs> you know, after the Avengers and the Future Foundation. And whatever sure. else. He went from being a loner in seven years to being on all the super teams. All of them. It's been like that since Bendis, though. So. Yeah, that's like ten years, not more. Oh, I'm longer. We're, We're old. old. We old. And yeah. By the way, Elliot Kalan. Who I, I don't I, know him. He wrote for The Daily Show. That's oh. a high pedigree. Yeah, that's a high pedigree. Okay. Yeah. I mean... And if it's going to be a comic series, an actual funny series, which yeah. was what the original Wolverine and the X-Men tried to be... Mm-hmm. A romp, I guess you'd say. I'm all for it. This 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 has the potential to like really work as a comedic series because not just because it's Spider Man, but because it's juxtaposing Spider Man with like the weirder student body of uh, the Jean Grey Academy. Because like the the last time there was a group of students that was this varied and sort of like had these these funny little characters was um, New X Men. Yeah. And, and that was like... The Morrison run or the... Well, they were sort of connected. Like, the, the Morrison run sort of kicked because, it off with yeah, Beak and, and yeah, Angel. Because, and, but in the Morrison run, they were, aside from Beak and Angel, they were all sided. They were there for a few pages. And yeah, then, you, you know. know it's like, that's what set them up. And yeah. then afterwards, you had sort of, um, well, no, you had the riot for, uh, at Xavier's. Yeah. Where, like, you know, Glob Herman and, and yeah. all those. So, you know, th- that sort of set it up. And then you had that series, um, uh, Nunzio de Philippus and Christina Ware, I think. Yeah, they, yeah. they, they were, um, and, and you know, it, it, was it was okay. okay. It was okay. It didn't set anybody on fire. It didn't like, you know, amaze people, but it did do the job of like introducing a new generation of mutants, which if only Mar- they could Marvel get rid of the old said, generation. Yeah. For a while, Marvel had tried to do a lot of, uh, Young X Men series, one yeah. after another, and none of them worked. You had well, particularly Young X Men. Yeah, yeah, young X Men didn't work. Generation that really Hope didn't, didn't work. work. No. Well, Wolverine and the X Men. Ge- Generation Hope though, didn't work sales wise. It didn't work sales wise, but it it worked in the sense that it introduced characters who stuck around, which is not as easy to do these days yeah. as Marvel would probably like. Like if they had the ability to sort of like push a dozen new characters into the universe and have them be instantly accepted, I think they'd prefer that. Okay, so but, what's, what's so the I will, one you wanted to talk about? The one that I thought you were going to bring up was Shield Number One, uh, Mark Wade and Carlos Pacheco. See, I don't care. I laughed my ass off. Uh, let me just like read the solicitation text because it made okay. me laugh. So, writer Mark Wade and a rotating crew of mission-specific top-flight Marvel artists make you one promise: every issue, twenty pages, one mission, unlimited budget, unlimited imagination. This is like, if that's not a tacit acknowledgement that Agents of Shield has failed in every conceivable way, that they had to take it back to the comics in order for it to be what people were imagining it was going to be. So it's global frequency shield. I can live with that. 
I can leave with Mark that. White is, Mark White is, is, is good. And I mean, Pacheco is okay. Well, he's he's just doing this. Uh, you know, art. it's like it's rotating art team. Yeah, but what, so why start with? Well, I never was a big fan. I don't hate him. It's just eh, the generic side. Yeah, for whatever. My, for my take, um, okay. it's okay with that. I I I'm kind of annoyed at Agents of Shield beyond the TV the, show or the comic. The, the, well, this is called Shield. Okay, so when I, ah. Agents of Shield, the show. Um, I'm annoyed at it for all kinds of reasons, but the main reason I'm annoyed at it is that I have to watch season two because Lucy Lawless is in it. And, you know, I'm a, I grew, I hit my teens in the late nineties. So where Xena goes, I follow. See, I, I never Can had I? cable, so I never watched Xena. So there I you go. For Lucy Lawless. So okay. Um, I mean, it had, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. had a lot of potential squandered, pretty much all of that potential. Yeah. Could a, lot of, a lot of goodwill squandered yeah. quickly. Could bounce back in the second season, not unheard of. But you know, the comic, I, 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 I'm, I want to try it out because it's like that. That's the thing. Like they're acknowledging here that what's missing was the spectacle. So if they understand that, and Mark Wade is not an idiot, like I'm sure that he 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 knows, you know, Mark Wade is on a roll. You know? Yeah, Mark Wade is on a Take roll it. for like four years now. So Take that ball and run with it. I'll be there. All new Miracle Man annual number okay. one with Grant Morrison and Joe Quesada on one yeah. story and Peter Milligan and Mike Allred on another. Yes. The big thing is that it's uh, <laughs> finally somebody draws the Lost Kid Miracle Man story that Morrison wrote in the 1980s and then never produced, supposedly because Ellen Moore was very angry. Oh, well, Ellen Moore was angry? No. Someone else? It's Grant Morrison? Oh, yeah. yeah. But... I feel like he has a wheel in his house and he just says, who am I going to get angry at today? Okay, I... Do you want to do like sort of a general background as to why this is important? No, because that would take forever. The question is... Marvel is publishing... Oh, yes. Okay, so okay. so we have like very different arguments regarding this particular comic. Okay. Um, Let me just say sort of before we get into that argument is, um, you know, Marvel is republishing one of the sort of lost epics... Uh, uh, of the 80s. Uh, this was a comic that, you know, it, it, forget all the legal issues, forget everything. It's uh, uh, supposed to be a series of six books, three written by Alan Moore, three written by Neil Gaiman. Uh, the uh, Neil Gaiman run never, had, ended. never ended because of uh, financial issues. and legal issues that we won't get into. But, you know, now that Marvel has acquired it, supposedly, like, they have been reprinting the Alan Moore books, right? Yeah. I, I think they're in the middle of the second one. Yeah, and, and recoloring. And... Yeah, you know, and, and I mean, I am waiting for the day when I will have those six books on my because, like, this they're is apparent, apparently yeah. uh, they're they're going to finish like Neil Gaiman's yeah, story. Yeah, they're, 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 going, they're doing. They're going to finish. Yeah. That was part of the Neil Gaiman. Deal. The, the way that it was supposed to break down, like originally, was that you had. Uh, uh, the first book was, I think, A Fear of Flying. A Dream of Flying. Dream of flying. Uh, the Red King Syndrome. Olympus. That was, you know, the Alan the Moore, Moore sort of trilogy. Then Neil Gaiman was supposed to do The Golden Age, The Silver Age, and The Dark Age, and it stopped halfway through The Silver Age. Supposedly, we are going to get The Silver Age and The Dark Age, though, when, you know, I'll believe it when it's in my hands, and not before that. Now, in it, so that's like what people want. That that's I, I like that's to what the, people wanted for decades. Yeah, to the extent decades. that anybody ever talked about Miracle Man, like after the the legal issues set in, it was only because like you know Alan Moore, Neil Gaiman. That's what we want. 
right? And in fact, when Marvel first picked up the 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 rights and started publishing like the old 1950s, Angelo's Miracle Man, nobody cared. Yeah. Nobody wanted it. They were all like, "What is this? I, this was not what I asked for." Okay. But now, like you know, we're, like I said, we're halfway through Moore's run right now, and in fact, they have not been censoring the things that I would have thought they'd censored, like the you know, birth, the childbirth issue. Well, it came was polybags. hella graphic. Yeah, it came to the stores polybag. Fine, but it's like the fact that. Marvel did not because they don't have a great history of like knowing when not to step in in yeah. in the mess and here like they they they're publishing it as is. By the way, that's a good example of how to do graphic content. Yes, yes. you know, I mean, there's a reason that that childbirth issue is still being talked about today, which has nothing to do with the fact that you see the whole thing. But anyway, so so then there's this annual. Tom, you go first. Well, you you don't you're not happy about this. Well, I don't think it, I, I I'm not angry. I don't think it's necessary. First first off, the name is terrible. All new Miracle Man. That's a terrible name. Yeah. That's a Marvel prefix for an idol, and you, they might have called it the Mighty Miracle Man yeah. or the Marvelous Miracle Man. It's stupid. Mm-hmm. Miracle Man Annual or Miracle Man Special. Fine, whatever. Okay. Uh, the Grand Morrison story is kind of important for a lot of Miracle Man fans. Uh, if you ask Julian Darius from Secret, I'm sure he'll be happy to talk your head off for Is it. he the guy that did the continuity pages for... Uh... Uh, I think so. Oh, think okay. He, oh, yeah. He wrote a long series of articles about every single Miracle Mean yeah. Miracle Mean issue that came out. Mm-hmm. And he, I, I'm sure he can't wait for it. As far as I'm concerned, it's not such a big deal. If Grant Morrison really cared for that story, it was important for him, I'm sure he wouldn't back down because Alan Moore yelled at him over the phone. Oh, I'm, I'm sure he did more than yell. I mean, yeah, okay. that, that snake god voodoo, he's like, you know, I'll put a curse on you, you're gonna find, like, <laughs> copperheads in your but, bed you or know, something. If, if it was important to him, if it was more than just a job, and Grant Morrison in the 80s, he did a lot of jobs, you know? Yeah. A lot of, not not everything that he did at the time was Zenith, which right. also gets reprinted this year, talking about Seriously? Zenith is finally being reprinted at the end of this year. That's Hallelujah. Year. Thank you, Glob. And the, earlier this year, we got Shaolin Cowboys. So, you know, that's the year for lost, all lost, right, hell. lost stuff coming back. Give me uh, all the stuff. Z- Zenith is... Co- I cannot yeah. believe Zenith is Anyway, the big thing for me yeah. is that they're doing a new story by Peter Milligan and Mike Allred. I like Peter Milligan and Mike Allred separately and together. Mm-hmm. You don't need to touch Miracle Man. You don't need to do new Miracle Man stuff. That's okay. a bad idea. That's a before Watchmen bad idea. And I right. like a lot of mm. the creative teams behind before Watchmen. You know, if you told me there's a Darwin Cook comic book, I'd say yay. But you're telling me there's a before Watchmen Darwin Cook comic, and I'm, okay, that's gonna be the one Darwin Cook book that I'm not gonna read. Mm. Okay. And I love Darwin Cook. Alright. He's the only, he's the only artist that I have absolute additions of. Right. You know, absolute new frontier. It's on my shelf because it's glorious. Yes. Okay. So, here's, like, my perspective on this is a little different because I'm looking at it in terms of there has, like, you compared it to Before Watchmen. Now, that's an interesting comparison because the main problem with Before Watchmen was that it was asking questions that none of us wanted answered. Like, they, DC really went in on, like, you know, discovering the hidden truths of the Watchmen characters. Like, anyone who read Watchmen was not asking, 
what Rorschach was doing before, like, the, the issue begins. It's like, it was pointless. It's all in the story. You right. don't need it. You, you don't, don't need... Have a watch with his background exactly. in the story. Exactly. Like, you don't need a scene... This is why it's always been such a challenge for people to, to, like, adapt it into other media, because you don't need... Like, there's nothing that you need outside the context of that graphic novel. Miracle Man is a little different in that there's always been a place in the series, even when we look at, like, you know, when we're talking about... For Morgan. the purpose of the argument, we're talking about Morgaiman, right? Those two yeah, no, together. Again, nobody really cared for Mike Anglo. Exactly. Let's forget Mike Mick Anglo. Let's forget like all the, the previous stuff. Let's talk about like that framework, right? There has always been a place, even within that structure, for Apocrypha. Neil Gaiman's The Golden Age, for example, I keep messing up the pronunciation of his last name and it is going to haunt me until the day I die, but I can't help it. Someday, you know, it just comes out of my mouth. It's either Gaiman, Gaiman, and this is like, the one of the greatest writers that I have the most respect for, and I can never get his name right. <laughs> so forget all that. But anyway, Neil G. Neil G. Down with the G. Yeah. So um, even within that structure, you remember like the Golden Age was really just sort of a series of vignettes that were dealing with like different aspects of the new world that Miracle Man had created, right? So within that context, you can say like, okay, there's this Miracle Man annual. I'll read it. If it's as good, like, if it slides into that, like, structure, uh, it's, sure, let's consider it canon, right? Let's make it, if it just ends up being, like, you know, so we had this guest writer and we had this guest artist and they did this thing on Miracle Man that has nothing to do with, like, the story and it's not as good or whatever, toss it aside. Like, the fact that they're not doing this as, like, Miracle Man number 25.1... Suggests, yeah, oh, that would have pissed people off. But, I mean, but, you know, it's... Okay, there's a place in that world for sort of stories that are not related to the main narrative. Whether or not people embrace this annual as much as they are, like the the, the core story, depends on how good it is. And you know, it could be fantastic, it could be crap. There's, there's how no long way to until know. Charles Soleil's Miracle Man? Oh, he hasn't brought it yet, and he writes everything. But oh, we'll he'll, get to he'll get Soleil there. Later. He'll get there. Um, One other thing from Marvel. Do you have okay. anything else from Marvel? Uh, I just want to mention that they're doing. Secret Wars, the prose novel by <laughs> Alex Irving. Oh, hang on. Secret War or Secret Wars? Wars, War, the original. The, the, oh. The and if you want an idea, that's not a good fit for oh a God. novel for the strengths and prose of the novel format. Secret Wars would be one. And Alex Ooh. Irving wrote a lot of uh, tie-in novels. You know, he yeah. wrote the yeah, Pacific time. Rim. He did. Yeah. He, he does a lot of that He's stuff. He's a war horse in this field, but yeah. why? Why? And like, why Secret Wars specifically? If you want to, well, if you want to novelize something that's at least going to entertain people, do Secret Wars too. <laughs> Spider Man teaches the Beyonder to use the bathroom. Sure, you know. Uh, okay, that's twenty five dollar hardcover, by the way. No, because, yeah, no, because it's a thing. No, no, no. Dan Abnett. Yeah, sure. Yeah, well, I he, mean, he did the Rocket Raccoon and Groot novel, which was yeah, fun. I guess I've actually read it. Oh, I've actually read a Rocket Raccoon and Groot novel. How is it? It was okay. He, he intentionally okay. did it in a mostly comedy style, so it was right fed through via Tom Holt, early Terry Pratchett uh, stylings. I tend to stumble a bit with Dan Abnett's like prose writing because he did the Durham Red uh, uh, novels and they were not so great. Even though he was doing stuff. the comics too, so it's like the comics were great. The novels were sort of like, eh. he had a comic book style. 
Well, yeah, you know, nothing wrong with literature. that. Yeah, okay. So what you want? To One last about? item uh, from Marvel. They're relaunching powers. Bendis and oh, Living. Right, right. Do we care? Is the question. Um, I don't. But it's. I stopped I reading I, like uh, after yeah, the I first arc in volume every, two. It, it moves on by inertia by now. I think. You yeah. Know, it's just it's the third volume, and when it ca- first came out, always were a revelation for a lot of people. Yes. Because it was the Bendy style gone mainstream. Not mainstream, sort of mainstream. It, it was a, a place for him to do... I mean, to this day, Bendis and is sort of controversial. Yeah, okay, but you know, I think, I think the thing is, when he first started, he drew his own stuff. And yeah. Bendis is not a very good artist. Say what you will about his writing. I think even his most uh, staunch defenders will admit he's not a good artist. Sure. So that was his chance to be drawn by... Have his plots and characters drawn by a professional. Mm-hmm. By the very talented Mike Avonami. So everybody was like, oh, it's great. And then, even on its no, I mean, even on its own merits, if you like, when it came out, when it came out, no, even now, like if you reread the first volume of Powers, right, up until the the, the last arc with like the the ape sex, <laughs> you, yeah, well, okay. uh, up until like that last arc, that's that's sad. See, that's all anyone ever remembers about yeah. forever. Even though like he really did do a good job of sort of, you know, portraying the the main character's life in such a way that you got to see like all these it was different. Very different for him. He was yeah. And it worked. It worked. I mean, well, I don't know if he got that far, but I mean, he tried. The first volume stands on its own. It's fine. The second volume, I felt, was like repeating itself, and that was the point where I was sort of like, oh, okay. This was also like the the point in time because I was reading Powers as it was coming out. This was the point where everyone sort of got over Bendis's decompression, yeah. and like you know, they started like mocking those pages where like you have a double spread, a uh, double page spread. Uh, no, yes, no, no. no. No, yes, no, maybe. no, yes, no, yes, no. So, I mean, that was sort of the moment where everyone was like, okay, do you have anything new for us? No. Ten years later, here we are. <laughs> yeah. And what is he doing now? X Men. Guardians. God, God, Guardians of the Galaxy God. and X Guardians of the Let, Galaxy. Let's move on to DC. DC. We'll yes. Swiftlier. Yeah, there, there's really. No, no. <laughs> there's uh, a, I have two items on the DC list here, and that was one of them. By Gail Simone, who wrote the. Well, yeah. The only. Secret Six Run and mm-hmm. Ken Lashley. Lashley. Uh, Kelsey Mom is good most of the time. Confession. Okay. Never read the original. I liked it. Uh, the thing that always scares me off DC Comics, like in the main universe, is accessibility. Because I never know, like, if I'm going to pick up a, a number one, am I going to understand, like, what's going on here? Because I don't read, like, the main... I don't know what's going on with Future's End and all that stuff. I have no idea. So whenever they, they launch one of these books, it's like... Do I want to, cause I tried this with Batwoman and boy, like after Greg Rucka left and, and Jay Williams took over, I had no I th- idea. I think they're getting better about it. Like the Grayson, the new Grayson series. Yeah. You know, launched in the middle of the crossover and it's okay. You know, I read the first two issues and I understood everything they wanted okay. to understand. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that would be my concern because on the surface of it, I mean, Gail Simone has had some hits. She's had some flops too. Let's not, you know, romanticize, but, um, Everybody has a one firestorm, the nuclear man in them. You better oh, let her, it all out. That, that wasn't her. Hers was that Welcome was her to Tranquility. Yeah. And Welcome to Tranquility wasn't. And Gen 13 wasn't. I mean, I let's, let's be fair. Okay. Even her run on Wonder Woman was a huge letdown. The Circle? I haven't read it. So oh my god. I mean, like, I expected so much more from her because, because she, you know, projects this image of herself as being someone who is, you know, she did such great work with, with Barbara Gordon. 
right? And with the birds of prey that you assume that, you know, she's going to really do fantastic work. And it didn't really work out. But I mean, you know, Secret Six, as, like, as long as some crisis doesn't turn up and like break the book in half in the middle of an issue, I'll be fine. I'll, I'll try it. I'll give it a fair shot. What's the other thing you want to talk about? Okay, you got it. You're smiling at me uh, now, I'm so I think you know. I'm not sure. He-Man: The Eternity yes. War Number One. Yeah. <laughs> and art by Potman. Like you had this knowing look on your face, and it's like. And and wait, wait. We, we have is, to mention it. It's yeah. one of those one of the few 26 covers that's done by Darwin Cook uh-huh. for that month. They're glorious, you know. Yeah. It's, it's one of those, I want to buy all of these just to, you know, rip off the covers. Mm-hmm. And put them, I, I hope they do it in a book because they're all widescreen covers. So I would pay money. For a poster. For a poster or sure. a book of posters. And I mean, He-Man, the, the D- last, DC have been working on it for a while, yeah, right? Yeah, series is still, was ongoing for a while and it got okay. been reviews by good people. I I feel like, you know, because again, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a child of the 80s, so I feel like, I should give this a chance because, you know, I loved He-Man as a kid, you know, seven or eight. But then, like, a couple of years ago, I had a chance to see an episode on, on YouTube yeah. and I was like, oh Nostalgia. my god, yeah. what we'll was wrong it. with me, you know? We were young and stupid, but, yeah. but the, apparently the series, the ongoing He-Man series, mm-hmm. is He-Man via Kirby, via the New Gods. Oh. Like, in that style. It's Gif Gif and it was very good at that style, so. Okay. The thing is, it's Popman, and I le- never liked his art. You know, he did Spy Boy, which was... Oh. It was a good idea, but bad execution, mm. I think. Yeah, that didn't uh, really work out. In the collected things, since we're talking about Darwin Cook, DC, The New Frontier, Deluxe Edition, 50 bucks hardcover for the whole thing. How many versions of this thing is? Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. There's the two... There's the regular paperback. The trades. Volumes. There's the Absolute Edition, which I think is out of print. It's yeah. a shame. And now there's this. Okay. And if you haven't read The New Frontier, it's great, you know, worth it for just, you know, popping your eyes yeah, out. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's good. It's, I mean, yeah, you know, New Frontier is okay. Well, uh, <laughs> okay. as a story, because, like, you know, I, 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 I love the artwork, but I feel like I wouldn't buy it just for the artwork. Okay. Like, I would buy it if it was a good story, too, and it's an okay story, but not like... You know. I really like the story. Okay. And talking about Absolute Editions, finally... Absolute Transmetropolitan Volume 1, the first Woot! 21 issues All right. of the Warren Ellis and Derek Robertson yeah. uh, classic sci-fi series. That's 125 bucks. It's an Absolute Edition. And it's absolute Editions are DC's lar- extra-large hardcover yeah. slipcase editions format. And it's 21 issues, which is a huge amount of comics, so... I have so, a complicated relationship with Transmetropolitan, so I'm actually ambiguous about this one. Yeah... Well, ambivalent is more accurate because I, when I was first reading it, this was like pretty early on. This, like I, I, I don't know like if my experience with comics is like sort of common, but you know, you start with the superheroes and then you find out that there's a thing called Vertigo, <laughs> and then it's like this explosion of like you know the first thing I read was was uh, Watchmen, and then I did uh, V for Vendetta, and then like you know when I finished V for Vendetta, I'm like, is there anything else that's sort of like this? And then someone's like, okay, and somebody took me aside and is like, okay, this is not like V for Vendetta, but you need to read it anyway. And he gave me the first volume of Sandman, and that was like you know revelation and the gates opening. And I'm like, ah, so but so Transmet. I was reading it like around that time and. I started out enjoying it, and about halfway through, I was sort of like, I 
don't know if I like this anymore. Because, like, after Vita gets assassinated, okay. it's sort of like, well, okay. I, I, you know, like, I wasn't really feeling enthusiastic about it. A couple of years ago, I gave it a reread, and I liked it. Like, you know, I got to that pl- point where I could get to it and, like, you know, read all ten, because I was reading the trades, right? It's like all ten books, or nine books, how many are there? Depends on which printing you're talking about. The, the new one. I think it's ten books. Ten books. So, you know, reading them again, and I was like, yeah, okay, now I get it. So that's why, like, I, I would recommend this in, in principle if someone hasn't read Transmetropolitan. because not first... an absolute edition, I think. It's not, uh, it's it, for fair. Are yeah, the, the trades still in print? Uh, yeah. Then take yeah. the trades. Yeah, they're doing the... Now they're doing it in those new large format versions. Which then I think is going take to be five it. Rates, yeah. Take it. You know. And the absolute edition is for the huge fans, the people who worship at the altar of Alice. Right. Uh, you know. I have friends like this, you know. Okay. They're allowed to live. <laughs> sure. And I mean, if, they, if you have the money and you can afford it and you are enough of a fan to justify it to yourself, take it. But I'd like, if, if you had never read it before, I'd be like, go with the trades. Yeah. Uh, Image Comics give us... Ow, uh, ow, my wallet. Ow, no, ow. No, not a lot of stuff this month. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Bitch Pub, number one, yeah. by Kelsu the Conic, and Valentin the Lendro, mm-hmm. uh, 3.5 bucks. And it's a women in prison pastiche only in science fiction form. Yeah. Um, Kelly the Conic broke out over the last few years. I'm not a huge fan. Mm. Like, I thought Pretty Deadly was... Overwritten to the extreme. Yes, it was. It was beautiful. It was yeah. Emma Rios, you know, doing her jump from being great to being legendary mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. But the series was such a, I really want to be Neil Gaiman in a Western. Uh, and well. no, it, 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 it was overwritten. I... It was overwrought. It was too much. Yeah. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't good. Something not as good as it pretended no, to be. No, pretty deadly. Like, I read the first arc, and I got halfway through, and I was like... I think the first um, arc is the only arc. They haven't yeah, <laughs> you know, like the first five or six issues. I don't know. Five. I got, like, issue three or four, and I was like, okay. I'm not really that invested in what's going on. I don't particularly care. And, and I mean, and this is actually a recurring problem that I have with Deconic, because uh, last week I decided to go back and try her Captain Marvel both volumes because I mean people have been talking her up as like one of the big you know female she has this uh, very uh, loyal fan base uh, uh, like both Carol Danvers and Kelly Sue DeConnick have like this very strong uh, uh, fan base so I thought you know give it a try and like you know I like Carol Danvers' character and she starts off okay but then it sort of like goes into this very weird territory where I'm not particularly, you know, the plot doesn't draw you in, and she doesn't really do anything inventive with Carol herself. And, you know, it's sort of like, eh, time travel hijinks and, and stuff, and it's just sort of, it never really works for me. But, there is a but here. Okay. Tom, have you ever heard of a man called Robbie Morrison? Yes. Okay. Robbie Morrison, my opinion of him is sort of like, you know, average writer, Okay. Not awesome. Has never had a huge spectacular hit except for Nikolai Dante. Yeah. Which is probably the best thing he's ever written. In yeah, my opinion. Okay, I mean, yeah, you know, the, now, the so, so, now why, why am I bringing in this comparison? Because. Because sometimes all you need is a good premise. Sometimes, like, the, uh, if an idea is good enough, 
then it can like push a an average, slightly above average writer to heights that they you would never see them do otherwise. This sounds like really interesting. You know, women's prison in outer space. Uh, it, it's an intriguing concept. Obviously, I think it's a little influenced by like like you know the popularity of Orange is the New Black. It's Orange and the New Black. Probably. In space. Yeah. So, but I mean, but that might be the idea that she needs to sort of go to the next level. Because Pretty Deadly, I couldn't tell you what it's about. Like, I know that it's a Western. That's about as far as my ability to understand the concept goes. But, you know, like Robbie Morrison, if you look at all of his stuff and not Nikolai Dante, the, the 2000 AD epic, it's like... Eh, he's okay. He did the Authority Revolution. That didn't do him any favors well, in terms of his reputation. Nice judge dress stories. Meh, you know. Uh, yeah, but nothing that made him like you know. And that, but if he is remembered for Nikolai Dante, probably. that will that will make him like you know that will make him appear to be a much better writer like in general than he actually is. So maybe maybe this is her Nikolai Dante. I don't know. Okay. The other big launch is very weird according mm-hmm. to the solicitation. They're not like us. Number one by. Eric Stephenson, oh, the English the, publisher, the and okay. written with art by Simon Gain and Jody Belair. And I have no idea what it's about. Because That's because the solicitation text is the most generic thing. Let me read it out, okay? I, do you have it in front of you? We all have advantages okay. yeah. over one another. But what if you were capable of things most of us can only imagine? What would you do? And who would you be? A doctor? An athlete? A soldier? A hero? Everyone has to make a choice about... How to use the abilities they're born with. But they're not like us. What? I don't even, like, this tells me nothing. nothing. This is, this is like the, the, the premise of every single superhero story that has ever been written in it the was, history of the United and, States. It doesn't sound like a superhero story. It <sighs> could be a social parable because they're not like us. You know, it's about immigration or I don't know what. And the thing is, you can, Get no, they, they have like, what if you were capable of things most of us can only imagine? Okay. I'm assuming that's superpowers. Okay. You can get away with a, solicita- a solicitation like this if you're already a huge name yep. as a writer. Like, if Grant Morrison did it, mm-hmm. he could get away with it. If sure. Alan Moore did it, he could get away Mike with Carey it. Mike Carey could get away with it, yes. Yeah. Eric Stephenson, who gave us Lower Man, which yeah. is okay, he can get away with that. I'm sorry, Eric no. Stephenson... I like your work as a publisher and image. You're a blessing to the industry, mm-hmm. except when you open your mouth and talk bad about other publishers. You oh know? God, what did whenever, he do? No, whenever you know, he had this huge rant about how other c- companies do not real comics, you know. Oh, that was him. Yeah, that was yeah. him. And uh, Is, that, although I, I, wrote, I, I did sort of agree with him, <laughs> I, I agree with some of the things, but I wrote a huge takedown on it for Secor because it annoyed me. Yeah. Uh. So I'm I mean, let let us acknowledge that his point that Image publishes things you can't get from Marvel and DC is technically true. Yeah, but you can also say Marvel and DC publish things that you can't get from Image. That's uh, also true. I don't know and if that's true. When, when, Image and, does superheroes. And here's the thing. When he says uh, licensed properties aren't real comics and you can only have original... Dark Horse! Yeah. No, 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 I'm sorry. And you can only have original writers doing the original things. You can say that when you're probably still publishing Profit, when you're publishing Glory... What does that have to do with anything? Because they're both owned by... It's Rob Liefeld properties refed through the through the art of other people. Sure. I thought that his argument about licensed comics was like Dark Horse doing no, not a, just that. a, a Star Wars about, comics. He was talking about, you know, you have to own your things. And I'm 
No, oh. no, you're still publishing. No, no, I don't. I, don't, I wouldn't and, go that far. And you like, still I, have I'll a accept. lot of people doing stuff for Kirkman. You know, yeah. Kirkman owned FIFA Thieves. He's not writing it. Kirkman owns Invincible. He's not sure. writing Invincible Universe. I mean, I, I well, okay. So, so I clearly misunderstood his point. No, that there were a lot of points. And, yeah. And the thing about you, licensed comics is automatically bad. I disagree. Yes, I, I do disagree too. because I'm reading right now. Transformers more than meets the eye, which, as I said in many, many panels before, is one of the best ongoing science fiction comics right now. Mm -hmm. And the other one is Prophet. I need to reread Prophet. I really do. I'm sorry, Eric Stevenson. I mean, we disagree. Yeah, I, I, I would, I'm willing to sort of accept, in theory, his argument that, like, when you're talking about comics that are based on existing properties, not within the comics industry, like, you know, Star, uh, uh, Dark Horse for many, many years published Star Wars comics. Star Wars Buffy, Cowboy mm-hmm. comics. Yeah. But I mean, let, let's talk about Star Wars because like that's the one that, I, that I'm most familiar with. Buffy is terrible. But I mean, the, the Star Wars, you know, uh, they published a lot of, of Star Wars comics. Were any of them particularly uh, noteworthy? I don't know. Not really. I mean, it's sort Star- of... Star Wars fans like them, but they like it. Star Wars it's... fans like the Phantom Menace, so they don't have any position to uh, tell anybody what their tastes I are. I think a lot of Star Wars fans don't like the Phantom Menace. Uh, if we're talking about Dark Horse... We yeah. Oh, that before story. we get to that, though, there okay. is one other image uh, release here that uh, I thought was interesting. John Arcudi and James Heron are launching Rumble Number 1. Again, a situation where the solicitation text tells me it's about a scarecrow warrior god. Okay. Why not? Um, this is my my image mantra is like, why not? Why, what did sure. could he do before? Because I'm funny with the name, but I can't attach it to any title. Oh my god, I'm blanking out too. See? And it but, would have worked. No, but I know that he he's a decent writer. Like he, okay. I, I don't, I can't recall anything that he's written like off the top of my head. And if we can't recall it, then it's probably not a good sign. Probably not. But you know, it's a new image number one. Also worth noting, just in terms of if people who are waiting for the trade, uh, a lot of arcs wrapping up in uh, December. Uh, the spread, Wayward, Umbral, Wicked and the Divine, uh, final issue of Sheltered. So those who like read by the arc like I do or by the trade, prepare your wallets, you know. Sovereign gets a trade to paperback, your oh, favorite God. series. God, Sovereign. I don't know. Maybe, you know what would be nice if they put out like a trade of Sovereign and like they added about 12 pages at the end that explain what the f- previous pages were about because, no. Okay, okay let's talk Dark Horse. about Dark Horse because we're dragging. I got we're nothing. Dragging. Uh, Hellboy and the BPRD miniseries, which is yeah. a chance for Alex Milan to draw Hellboy, which is a lot of people will like it. Um, it's care. a Hellboy verse series, so I I I, I read the the main. The, the interesting for me is this one, and I'm hoping I'm saying it right. Seraphim, two hundred sixty-six million six hundred and and thirteen wings, which is a manga collection by Memoro Oshi, who did who did Ghost in the Shell and Satoshikon, who did Perfect Blue. Okay. And those are huge names for animation fans. Huge names. For manga fans, you mean? Uh, animation fans. Oh, because right. they're from, mostly right. famous for their work as directors of anime movies. Not, oh. Not for, not for creating their own mangas. Okay. And Satoshi Kon died a few years ago. Tragically, he was pretty young. And I love them both, so I'm going to give it a shot. I'm not a huge manga fan, but for these creators, I'm diving in. Hope it works out for you. Uh, Boom Comics. Do you have Boom on the list? No. Okay. No. Anything I'm, interesting? 
This one's going to blow you away. Escape from New York, number one. Christopher Sabella and Diego Barreto. No. This movie is over 30 years old. Leave Kurt Russell alone. And it's not that good of a movie. No. It's not... When you're talking about top Kurt Russell movies... (laughs) That doesn't crack the top five. Or top John Carpenter movies from the... 1980s or ni- early 1990s. It's not it. Oh, and, God. Uh, have you read Big Trouble in Little China? No, I no, haven't read it, but... It's uh, okay. I mean... It's okay. My, why? That one has why? Eric Powell writing it, which is a huge name. But, like, why? Yeah. Can anyone answer, like, you know, why? You... Granted that anyone can see the movie today, right? Like, it's it, we don't have the accessibility problems of, like, you know... Uh, a comic is coming out based on a really old movie, but you can find the old movie on Netflix or whatever. No problem. And since the movie has been remade under different names, because District 13 is Escape from New York in France. I'm sorry. District 13? Yeah. District the, 9? No, no. District 13, the parkour, running, jumping, kicking movie. Huh? Yeah, it's a French action movie that came out four years ago, and then last year it was remade in America. I am showing my American-centric ignorance here, but, yeah. uh, I, okay. So, um, well, one other thing, uh, for solicitations, uh, from Valiant. Valiant, okay. They're putting out a one-shot, uh, called, uh, Harbinger, Faith Number Zero. When Valiant started up their whole, uh, their, this new universe of theirs, uh, I tried all the titles. You know, just, uh, sort of, uh, dabbled with them. The only one that's really stuck with me is Harbinger. It's a fantastic book. It has a great cast of characters, and the best character in the book is uh, Faith, this character. Her codename is Zephyr. She's this pop culture fangirl who, I mean, the, the, the clever thing about her character is like, you know, Harbinger, the book, is like this really serious, down-to-earth sort of, you know, what would it look like if actual psychics were like waging this this war against each other? And here you have the, this character who's like, you know, she's a little overweight and, and she, like, her dream is to be like the classic superhero, you know, swooping around, saving people, whatever. And her power is flight. So she like brings this exuberance to the, to the book that really balances out like the, the darker aspects. And it's just, it's a, it's a fantastic book. I've, I've been reading every issue. I'm, I'm absolutely enjoying it. And now she's getting her own, uh, one shot. Good for her. Good. Yes. Good work, Faith, you fictional character, you. Yes, congratulations. And I think we went through the solicitation, so let's go to the reviews. The reviews. And we're going to start with the big one. Yes. Supposedly the big one. They the big want one. us to think it's the big one. Mm-hmm. It's the Death of Wolverine number one by the ubiquitous Charles Soule. Oh. And that's a sobriquet, you know? That's like... <laughs> the ubiquitous Charles Soule. The ubiquitous Charles That sounds like Disclaimer. a series. Yeah. Disclaimer, we have a disagreement about how to pronounce his last name, as we do with so Soleil, many writers. Yeah. Soule, Soleil... Soleil. We're gonna ver- we're gonna alternate, whatever. Yeah. Death and, of Wolverine. And drawn by Steve McNiven. Yes. A big name. Yeah. I mean, name. you know, Steve McNiven, generic, but well done. Yeah. Yeah. The best of the generics. Yeah. Exactly. Like you know, what, what, that's, that's when a people, I think. Well, I mean, it sort of is in the sense that, like you know, his version of Wolverine probably corresponds to what a lot of people. Imagine in their heads when they think of Wolverine. So, so what's, okay. what's the story about? The story is about Tom. Do you remember when Peter Parker died? Which time? Uh, most recent time. 
Was it the James? Dr. Octopus gets in his oh, head. Oh, yeah. Peter Parker died. Do you remember that great epic death of Sabretooth with the magic sword that made sure he'd never, ever, ever, ever come back? The one that was undone a year later? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. okay. I don't understand why Marvel still thinks that we are going to care that they are killing off a character and no one, no one, no one, no one believes that this character is going to stay gone. It's Wolverine. Even if it hadn't been Wolverine, when they killed Peter Parker, people were like, okay, the first reaction when they announced the death of Spider-Man was, so when's he coming back? I mean, next year, the year after, yeah, how, the how first, long should we wait? The answer is the first issue of Superior Spider-Man. No, back. no, that's when he was like mental, con- but I mean, now he's like back, back, right? Now he's like yeah. back to normal. So, I mean, you know, it, how long did that whole Dr. Octopus thing Two last? Years. Two years. Okay. Uh, and I mean, th- it's gotten to the point with Marvel where, you know, they make this huge deal about a character dying, even if it wasn't Wolverine. Like, I don't believe that they're going to kill off Wolverine and keep him dead for more than a year. I don't believe it. I don't think anybody who's been I, reading... I think two years is the new cutoff time because you had it for Captain America when Steve Rogers was dead. Uh-huh. That was two years. Yeah. And like you said, Spider-Man was two years and the Human Torch was like a year and a half. I mean... It's, 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 they, they've taken it too far is the problem. Because yeah. now, you know, death as a dramatic option for a character no longer works. And like the, the, the best anecdote that I have for this, uh, um, did you read uh, Peter David's X Factor? Parts of it, not all of it. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I gave up at some point too. But, um, in the, in the early part of that run, that was right before Deadly Genesis, where in Deadly Genesis, Banshee dies. Yeah. Right? Sean Cassidy. Uh, um, his daughter, Teresa, was a character member. Uh, she was a cast member of uh, X Factor. And Peter David did this whole long involved oh, subplot yeah. about how she didn't believe he was dead because the X-Men are constantly dying and coming back. So she was just going to wait for him to come back. And, you know, she was, it, it was denial on the one hand, but on the other hand, like, she's right. <laughs> X-Men. Waha. Well, here's the thing. She finally gets to the point where, like, she accepts that he's gone and it's this huge sobering moment for her. And I think not six months later, he came back in Chaos War. <laughs> okay. And then he, he died again. And now he, like, he's back now for, uh, Uncanny Avengers. Oh. Okay. And, and it's just like, you know what? Death no longer works. It didn't Ma- work for a lot of time, but. I mean, um, nobody's gonna be going around with, like, black armbands to represent the death of Wolverine. Fool us once, shame on us. You know, fool us twice, shame on you. 666 times. 16 times. Yeah. Well, well. So wait, wait, what's the actual stories about? The, the actual film? story here is, I mean, again, like, it's, it's so difficult for me to sort of review this objectively because the fact in my head is like, it, Charles Sol- Soleil is building this up as like this big epic, you know, the final stand of Wolverine. Give me a break. Yeah, so Even Wolverine reading it, I'm has lost his healing powers. Yes. He's dying because of metal poisoning and radiation mm-hmm. poisoning. And because Magneto ripped his... Sc- no. No. Oh, no, that was... 19- no, no. Yeah. Okay. And a Wrong lot of death. people want to kill him because he's Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Only now he can't heal himself. So it's yeah. going to be his last stand and that's it. Yeah. Uh, the, the first issue... I'm, I might be wrong about this because I read it digitally. Okay. But uh, did I sort of uh, uh, miss the point where, like, the story itself is, like, ten pages? No, no. There's no. a lot of bonus content in this issue, but the actual story is... No, no, no. no. The, it's, it's 
It's 32 pages. It's just very light on plot. I'm, I'm like, I, I, because I don't have the physical comic in front of me, I'm not sure, but I think it ends before the staples. <laughs> no, no. I don't know if that's true. No, if no, it no, is, that's, that's, no, 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 no. It, it's expensive, yeah. but, you know, they give you proper amount of pages. I mean, it's, but, it's Wolverine. You know, he's a flagship character who has been so overexposed that when people announced he was dying, they were like, thank God, finally somebody else can step in. No, and they're not waiting because right after he dies, you have the Weapon X uh-huh. series and the Death of Wolverine series, which is about people mo- in mourning, I guess. Yeah. Or in moaning. Probably in moaning, because or I don't... Or any one of the thousand Wolverine clones or continuations mm-hmm. or alternate universe version just picking up the slack. Wolver- with Wolverine, you know, the, the rule that has always been true for his character, and it's true in this book too, less is more. Yeah. He works best when he is, you know, used in very short doses, like... Uh, um. Uh, Whedon's, uh, uh, third arc on Astonishing X-Men. Yeah. When the beer hits him in the head, yeah, and, yeah. and like, before that he thought he was a six-year-old girl. That was perfect. Yeah. So, Minimalist I mean, Wolverine. Yeah, exactly. And here Minimalist it's like, Wolverine. I mean, oh, there's a title. <laughs> I, I, I give Charles Soleil credit for, he tries, and like, if, if you could divorce yourself from the idea that this is supposed to be an event with a capital E, it would sort of hold together. I'm not a huge fan because I read the second issue too. And it's a weekly series. It's so. a, well, not anymore because three and four have been delayed to next month. That just like... Steve McLean drawing a weekly series? Being late? Who could have imagined? Nelson months, you know? Ha <laughs> ha! But anyway. So, I mean, I'll give him credit for, you know, Charles Soleil has been given this job. He's doing it to the best of his ability. It's not bad, but, like, this, this is a story that was crippled from the moment it was created. Because, like, the second somebody comes to you and says, tell me a story in which Wolverine dies, I'm like, for how long? And it's completely divorced from the preceding Paul Cornell run for some reason. I mean... That's okay. Paul, no, but Paul I mean, Cornell has been writing the Wolverine losing his powers. And why is he writing his death? I guess he didn't want to. Yeah. <laughs> like, who, do you want to be the... That's the thing. Like, somebody... Like, the job of actually killing Wolverine... Do you want to be the guy who writes that story and then be like, you know, dude, that sucked. Apparently Charles Soleil wants to, or at least you... Good for him. I mean, He doesn't want to say no. He's not a bad writer. never says no to anything. He writes like a a double-digit number of series right now. Yeah. Yeah, That's insane. And he's a lawyer. (laughs) And he has a band. That's... Are we sure that he's not like a secret clone project or something? I think there's a colony. It's like uh, there's a colony of Charles. We we are Charles Soleil. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, either that or literally, he's got superpowers. He doesn't need to sleep. It's you know this story, and he's going to be a Marvel exclusive now. Oh God! (laughs) So now that he doesn't have to do the DC series, the Soleilverse. He's He's going to be writing the Marvel universe. By himself. Yeah, they can call it. They can call the imprint Cirque du Soleil. It's, it's like the Stanley day where it's like sure. Stanley, Stanley, Stanley. I mean, th- and this he's, better is... Write, he's a better writer than Stanley. Oh, let's 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 uh, um. <laughs> I, okay, no, only because you have to take into account like the historical differences between the two. Okay, like Stanley was allowed to be, I say, lazy, right? You know, in, in quotation marks. Like, not care so much about plot resolution and, and things like that because it was 1960s comics and nobody expected it of him. So, Soleil does, you know, he does good work. 
I just think that like he th- this comic, you know, I can't, I can't in good faith even though like on the surface of it it is a good story or at least you know above average for for a Wolverine comic. I can't recommend it in good faith because it's just another one of those fake status quos that is going to be overturned before you even get used to it. Like Wolverine is probably going to turn back up in the 6 issue storyline that's his funeral and be like, "You know, guys, I'm back. When when did you leave?" You know, and the the thing that gets me is that sometimes the deaths actually do have like emotional uh, 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 impact. Like when Nightcrawler died in, in Second Coming, I was sort of like, you know, wow, that really that that stung, you know. And then like two, three, four years later, here he is again, and like I like Nightcrawler, but it's sort of like, dude, I just don't, you know. You, you can only go through that so many times. Okay. Um... Another one, let's do Copperhead. Yes. Let's do Copperhead, Copperhead number one by... Image! Yeah, by Jay Ferber and Scott... Godlowski? Godlowski, I think. Godlowski. Okay. And we stuck with pronunciations. Maybe that can be our thing. And Here at the Smorgasbord, we speak be- with both of them. <laughs> and because it's Image, it's a science fiction series, which is a take-up on an existing genre. It's the SF Western... Uh, mm-hmm. Plot version uh, C1, The Frontier Town. Record. I mean, Jay, there, there's the last page in this issue where Jay Ferber is like, straight up, this is Deadwood in space. I wanted to do Deadwood in space, and now I've got Deadwood in space. So they're doing Deadwood in space, and Orge is the new black in space. And I think uh, Frank Barbieri was talking about doing uh, Breaking Bad, not in space, but in superheroes. So what's okay. the next step? I mean, we haven't got the Sopranos of space yet, right? Sopranos in space, uh, crime series in space. No, no crime no. series in space. So uh, the Fuse, hmm? the Fuse, I guess. Oh, yeah. But you know, uh, okay. it's not it's not one of Anthony Johnson's better better works. But um, Copperhead number one. So Clara Bronson is the new sheriff of a backwater town on a backwater planet called uh, Copperhead. And like, I mean, you're right. It, it, it's a set. I can't decide if this is a Western with science fiction tropes or a science fiction story with Western tropes. It's sort of unclear how that works yet. But, um, as a first issue, it hits all the beats, right? Like, you, you know that the, the sheriff has a mysterious past that you don't know the details of. She has a son who is not annoying in the manner of, like, you know, children in, in these types of stories, it's but not also. Precocious. He's not precocious. He's not precocious, but he's also not... Like, he doesn't distinguish himself. Character. You yeah. don't instantly love him, and you don't instantly hate but him. But you don't think she's going to need to rescue him every other issue? Well, based on how the first issue well, goes, okay. it's hard to say. But not every other issue. Yes. yes some... He's not going to be like... what TV Tropes refers to this as the load. Yeah. Right? The character that you sort of drag around um, like, in, like a sack over your bag. So I don't know if he's going to be that. But I mean... We know the locals don't like her. We know the her locals don't like her. Who's an alien. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the town is aliens, apparently. Yep. Uh, There's she... some corruption in the town, yeah, right? So it's, okay. It's very generic. It's, it's very formulaic. I think that... With these kinds of stories that are like designed from the start to be, you know, we are going to be Deadwood in space. Deadwood didn't succeed because it was a Western. It succeeded on the strength of its characters. And the writing. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. like, you know, yeah. you have to really care what happened to these people. Here, like, the first issue doesn't necessarily deliver that. But it could. Like, I need another issue of this to see if Farber can really, like, make them 
uh, uh, unique within that context. Because, like, one of the first flashbacks that I got when I was reading this was to Defiance. I don't know if you've seen that show. Defiance? No. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it runs along a lot. You know, this new guy comes in with his adopted alien daughter in a town that's full of aliens, and he's the new sheriff. Okay. And the problem with that series, and the reason that it has been, I think it's been canceled, like, finally, but... um it, it just, you know, you, you didn't really care what happened to anybody in the story. So it was like, okay, there's this huge dramatic thing. Eh. And the thing about wanting to be, uh, like you said, sorry, what's the name of the TV show that I haven't watched? Defiance. No, no, the Western. Uh, Deadwood. Deadwood. I only watched, like, the first half season before I turned it off. Okay. But, you know, the thing about Deadwood is that it had a point beyond being a, a Western yes. that you can swear in. It was trying to make a point about America and about the pioneer times sure. and about capitalism. And Copperhead doesn't seem to have a point. I don't think uh, Copperhead other than playing that. with the with the, with the cast and character. It's, yeah, it's the, just a story. It's not a story about something beyond. No, beyond I mean it's story. it's it's colored by numbers is what yeah. it is. The only way that I could see this working is you know there, there's one of two possibilities. Either this turns out to be a story in which it actually does have some kind of comment to make in a larger sense, and that's why you can sort of forgive that the characters are generic, or if it ends up actually being about the sheriff as like as a character piece. Because then you can be like, okay, so it's her story, right? It's her progress, it's her journey, and you know, the fact that she's surrounded by these cliches isn't necessarily a bad thing if she uses them to get somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, the art is fine. Okay. It's yeah. clear storytelling. You can always tell what's going on. There's, mm-hmm. The characters are all well established. I like the design on the shirt. I like, I can't really explain it. I like that she's wearing her armor, her work armor, over her dress. Yeah. Which is odd, but it's unique. I, I'm thinking that that might be sort of... Uh, uh... A relatively subtle uh, hint at, like, you know, the traditional role of female characters in westerns versus the fact that, you know, she is the sheriff, right? She's a tough girl. She, she doesn't is. take no for an answer. I mean, I mean, listen, when you look at all, like, the sheriff types in, in you know, the traditional western uh, films or, or the, you know, just imagine, like, the main sheriff is a woman, it would probably look like that, you know. So, okay, it, it's... It, it it could get good, but like, I don't know if I would recommend the first issue on its own. Wait for the trade. Yeah, if if it was Image five <coughs> years ago, it would have been big. But seeing as it's Image now, and you have all those new number ones and new yeah. series by bigger names or or names of the same size doing better work. Some, I mean, listen, it's people have been making the argument like you know, there's been a comparison. You could compare this, for example, Copperhead. To uh, Wayward, which came out uh, in the previous week, which was also sort of like not enough on its own to tell you what was really going on or to tell and you if way- there's any deeper points. And Wayward was better looking. You know, yeah. Like- so it's like, but then there are series that Image has put out where in the first issue you're like, okay, profit, right? Yeah. Hello. Chew. Chew. Uh, Rat Queens. Uh, Skull Kickers. Skull- yeah, you know, like first issue, you know what you were getting. Yeah. So... Don't don't make the first issue into a promise. Yeah. The first issue shouldn't be there's well, gonna be something good further on. No, no, the first yeah. issue should be there's something good here. Yeah, because then you're just encouraging people to wait for the trade. Yeah. So or not read it. Or not read it at all. Yeah. 
Uh, we'll finish the issues re- review with the new... Well, it's not new by the time this episode will be up. Yeah. But, you know, that's the problem with doing a bi-weekly podcast. Yeah, j- uh, just bi-monthly. So, I-, I think that we can be excused for... Lateness. like le- Well, lateness. Hey, if Image can do it, so can we. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, we can be sort of uh, excused here because, you know, for our first... It's not Image, it's Vertigo. I know, I was just being sort of, oh, well. I thought you could do the Sandman Overture. Yes, yes, okay, well, you know, um. We'll but, review Sandman <laughs> Overture number one in the episode. Yeah, uh, in 2018. No, I mean, we, basically, like, what happened here was that we, our first, uh, uh, pi- pilot, uh, episode, so to speak, was recorded at the en- tail end of August. And, uh, now, so now, like, we're recording this, our, our all new, all different number one. Uh, so we do want to sort of go through a few older issues just to sort of like catch yeah, up. It's worth talking about. It is worth because talking about. It's a new Peter Milligan series. The yep. Names Number One by Milligan and uh, Lendro Fernandez mm-hmm. who's doing the art. And the it's the other big uh, new Peter Milligan series because he's also doing Terminal Hero for Dynamite with mm-hmm. Piotr Kowalski. Yeah, Piotr Kowalski. Yeah. And after a long while where he didn't really do the self-created work, I think. Yeah, he was gone for a while. He was gone for a while. The last thing he did was Five Ronin, I think, which was, nobody cared about it. Wasn't it Duke? He, he did oh, something oh, with Duke. Oh, he's doing Duke now for Marvel. It's, oh, It's okay. not a self-owned no, but series. Before that. Yeah. He doesn't own Duke? No. Duke is owned by Marvel. Mm, okay. It's, it's mm. not hard to duck. It's just yeah. <laughs> God, it's just if du- I mean, if there was a character though that could follow Howard the Duck into yeah. like that kind of spiral, it would be Duke. But okay. So uh, the names. So it's Kill Bill for the one percent crowd, for the we are the ninety nine crowd. That's that's the solicitations. You know, that's the big name. Yeah. Uh, the plot is. Have you noticed that like all of the solicitations lately from all the companies have been like. It's kill. It's X meets Y. That's the that's been the thing in the solicitations for forever. It's no, that. I mean I really started noticing it now. Like mm-hmm. Image, the all their number one releases for the solicitations were like, it's <laughs> this meets this. It's it's Kill Bill meets whatever, and it's like guys, yeah. let uh, us okay. let us decide okay. that for so ourselves. The plot is yes. Katya is married to a Wall Street investment banker, something or other, mm-hmm. and he kills himself under. A request from a secret society called The Names, mm-hmm. and she's gonna have to discover why, and she's gonna have to take vengeance, apparently. And it sounds very generic, but it's Peter Milligan, so we know it's not gonna be straight. Because Peter Milligan is like... Um, how do I explain it? I think <laughs> how does one explain no, no, Peter I Milligan? <laughs> What does one compare Peter Milligan with? And I think I'm going to use film terms. Okay. I think I'm going to use directors. Terry Gilliam. Peter Milligan is Terry Gilliam. Yes. Yes, he's the guy. The good and the bad. Yeah, because when you say his plots, when you say, you know, this is what the thing is about, it sounds very straightforward. But when you actually look at it, it's all the small personal touches that make it unique for good or ill. Mm-hmm. The question is, is the first issue of the names good or ill? I actually had the opposite problem with the names okay. that I did with Copperhead. Because what we said in Copperhead was like, you know, everything is formulaic, and if there's potential, it won't turn up until later issues. Here I feel like Milligan might have thrown too much into the first issue, because like you have this conspiracy, right, mm-hmm. that orchestrates the, the suicide of her husband. 
But then you also have like the conspiracy is fighting this. There's this uh, sort of two page or, or three page scene where they're talking about like they're waging war against this sentient software that's manipulating foreign currency or something. Yeah. You know, like I don't know what's going on over there. And then like you have the thing with the stepson who has creepy pictures of his mom and his stepmom in like bikinis and like. It's just there's a lot going on in the first issue that does, and the the dots don't connect there. It's like in, still, it, it, I mean, look, one of my favorite Peter Milligan stories is the Enigma, so I have no, oh, yeah. uh, I, I like, I, 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 I can the definitely didn't really connect there in the end very much. It's true. Great. Well, they did, they, they, they did, but like in a very specific way. But I mean, when you look at the the what that teaches me as, as like a reader is, you know. Look at this as, you know, the, the first act of something that is going to get more complicated may have a good resolution, may not. Like, it, it, it's a roll of the dice with Milligan. Not everything that he does always ends up being, like, this amazing revelation at I the think, end. I think, yeah, Milligan is hit or miss. Yeah. Usually he's either, he's very good or it's very not good. He did Bad and, Company, didn't he? Yeah, I haven't read it. It's the 2018, right? Yeah, I, I, I read it. It would be interesting to read it because that's, 2008 don't give you a lot of rope to tie yourself in, so he oh. can, really? No, I mean, in terms of you have to, every, every story is five seven pages. Page, five, seven pages. Yeah. So, well, Bad Company was in the, I think, uh, early 80s, so yeah. it was five pages. Um, it was fantastic, and then it wasn't. Okay. Like, it's, but, but the, the, the good thing about that story is that, like, you know, it's comp- comprised of five five arcs. Blech, five arcs. The first three give you like you know a complete story with a proper ending, and then four and five are just like oh, nobody cares. Just like brush it under the the rug, pretend it didn't. Well, happen. you can because when it's collected, it's the whole thing together. It's the complete. Not always. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they com- they only collect the first three. No, the no, latest okay. version collects all five. Okay. But I mean, so like w- w- what this teaches us about Peter Milligan is that you know when you're reading a first issue, it is going to be not entirely clear. Uh, it might work out. I, I'm, I'm willing to give it a shot because, you know, like he, he, when he's on, he's on. Yeah. That's the guy so, who gave us human target. That's the guy who yeah. gave us enigma. I, I can. Ecstatics. Uh, like, I, I could understand anyone who, who like reads this and puts it down and says, not for me. Yeah. I, I, I would understand that perspective. I'd be like, you know, maybe, uh, uh, uh wait for a few issues to see if, you know, it, it becomes more coherent. I th- the art is odd because the bodies are realistic. And yes. It's trying, but then the faces are completely cartoonish. You know, like yeah. long chins and huge... The bad guy... The old guy like, with the... The bad guy looks <laughs> like he's the Joker. Like he's Team oh, Silly's Joker. Not Team Silly. No. Huh? Uh, Tim Dini. No. No, no, the guy who worked Tim with, and Dini. Paul yeah, Dini. Yeah, like a huge cartoonish Joker grin. Yeah. And it's weird. It's just... It's a weird effect, which I'm guessing is intentional because weird effects is what Milligan does. Yeah, okay. And I I'm going to go with it because I'm a Milligan fan most of the time and I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Right. Terminal Hero, for instance, you know, the first issue also... Are you reading that? No. It's, it starts off, you know, you're thinking it's going to one way and by the end of the second issue it's like, no, no, we're done with that. You right, know, you thought we were going through that direction. No, sorry. okay. I mean, it it could it could potentially turn out to be great. I don't know if the first issue really demonstrates that, but you know, yeah, whatever. 
And you have the generic Peter Milligan, a shelf of books that shows you that Peter Milligan liked to read books. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you have to have that in, like, every single... <laughs> yeah, that, that's his Brian Michael Benzism, you know. <sighs> hey, but it, not, it doesn't take a full double-page spread. It's, like, two panels of books. Okay. Yeah. So that's the first issues. Yeah. And we're going to do our trade review. Yes. Our trade slash graphic novel review. Yeah. And I chose this one. Yes, you did. I, <laughs> I, I think <laughs> you're going to see what... Yeah. Um, uh, we're talking about Judge Dread Mega City 2, City of Courts, I think the trade paperback is called, yeah. because I read it in issues, mm-hmm. written by Douglas Walk, who's a comic book critic. Yes. Um, most of the time he wrote for Comics Alliance, and you said Seven Critics, mm-hmm. and drawn by the incredible mm. Ulysses Farinas. Yes. And the plot of this is, you take Judge Dread, the quintessential proto-fascistic a uh, New York cop, and you put him in Los Angeles. Yeah. Mega City 2 is the Los Angeles for Mega Cities 1, New York. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, everything is always on camera, and everything that the judges, the police, who are also the court and the execution do, has to be justified in rating terms. So you can't just arrest somebody. You have to make it photogenic, and you have to make sure that, you know, the camera crew gets their B-roll before you shoot someone to death. Right. Or hold them in. And he's there, technically, as an exchange program. You know, you're going to our town, we're going to your town. But we found out pretty quickly that he's actually there undercover to discover a conspiracy that uh, lets uh, Mega City 1 criminals escape from Mega City 1 to Mega City 2. Mm. And then things get wild. Yeah. It's a weird series. <sighs> so, I, I get that you didn't like it. I didn't like it. Okay. And... Uh, do you want to do yours first? Like, uh, in terms of I, what I like about the series is yeah. a, even though it's a miniseries, and in miniseries you usually excuse pacing terms because it's, the thing is meant to be read as a whole. Every issue is a story. Every issue is dread encounters A or B or C and deals with it, and then the actual plot moves along right. in the background. Two, uh, it's. It goes the whole hog. That's a, that's a comic that doesn't hold back anything. Anything. <laughs> no, no. There's a lot of stuff going on in the and foreground. And Farinas in... keeps up. Ulysses Farinas is like Jeff Darrow if he's being softened. Yeah. Like, it's Jeff Darrow intentionally kiddified, and I'm not saying it as an insult. He's a great artist. Yeah. Uh, there's actually a panel in issue three, the one with the sea monster, yeah. where the plane makes a... Uh, a uh, smoke signal in the background and it reads, I'm sorry, Jeff, there. That's great. Yeah. And everything is so tense. You know, every issue you have at least one giant double page spread of, you know, the city or some huge mechanical behemoth mm-hmm. or a huge sea monster and you can, you can just look at it for hours and yeah. hours. Uh, very detailed, very beautiful. Great. And it, it should run the risk of being too much, but because it's Farinas and he knows what he's doing, mm-hmm. and he doesn't believe in dead space, you know, there's no free space on the panel, <laughs> no. it works. Yeah. So, if nothing else, beautiful, gorgeous. Yes, the artwork now, is phenomenal. The story. <sighs> My objection to the story... Okay. So, how, how much 2080 have you read, like, generally speaking? 2080 or Judge Dredd? 2080. There's a reason uh, I'm bringing yeah. that up. Uh, not a lot. I've read... Uh, one of the huge Judge Dredd collections, the Apocalypse World. Forget Dread. Forget Dread. Other than Dread? Other than Dread. 
on a lot some of the short stories by Moore and Morrison some okay. of the uh, I read the first few stories of Nikolai Dante I think okay. but not a lot um, I'm a bit more familiar with their material but like when you look at what is popularly considered to be like the great epics of 2080, right? Like the Ballad of Halo Jones, Zenith, oh, yeah, Nikolai Dante, Dante. Oh, um, no, it's okay. like the, the, the first cycle of uh, Strontium Dog, Bad Company, you know, all of these, these storylines that people remember like for 20 years later. Uh, Nemesis the Warlock, well, uh, give or take. <laughs> ABC but, Warriors. Well, okay. Well, let, let's leave uh, Pat Mills' nervous breakdown out of this. But, um, what do all those epics have in common? They're finite, right? They start off, I mean, Nicolai Dante ran for years and years and years, but, you know, beginning, middle, end. The only character who does not subscribe to this uh, 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 finite sensibility is Judge Dredd, who's been around since issue number two, two of 2000 AD and is still on today, with the, 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 the end result being that there's really very little people can do with him that doesn't seem... Either derivative or, you know, just another day at the office or like, you know, how, how much can you care about Judge Dredd? The, the new film, not the, not the Sylvester Stallone one. one. We're not going to talk about the Sylvester Stallone one, but like, you know, the Carl Urban one. Figure that out pretty easily because he's not the protagonist of the story, right? He's not the person who is at the center of the narrative because, you know, he's Judge Dredd. He's as flat as Batman at this point. They have been around for as long. They have done everything under the sun. Like ev- uh, dozens of writers have taken this character, and they, you know, they do this murder mystery on the moon. He spent a couple of years wandering around in the wasteland as like the cursed Earth or whatever the hell it's Mega called. City do, uh, Mega City One has been this for like four times. Oh my! I mean, it, I, worse I, than that. Move, yeah. move. You know, leave Maybe. Mega City One and go somewhere else. This is not working out. He 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 like chased after this surfer, a uh, chopper. Yeah. Like the surfer guy. Uh, it's like, it has been done over, he, he's such a chewed up character at this point that, you know, you put him in the center of a, of a book and like Douglas Wilk isn't like the regular writer, right? He's not someone who is necessarily associated with Judge Dredd. He's a huge fan though, you know. He's Fair a- enough. You know, I mean, again, like the, the comparison that I always go to is, you know, he is to 2000 AD what Batman is to DC. Look at how much effort Batman, uh, DC have been making to make Batman seem interesting. But like, you know, how I think, much... I think there's a different comparison. I think he's John Constantine. Because, no. Because, you know, because Batman... Constantine hasn't been around as long. No, 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 okay, but Batman is intentionally wide character that you can put and plug into just about every story, and he was made like that, because he's a pulp character, he's a superhero character. I don't think he was made like that, I think he evolved into becoming yeah. like that, because... Constantine was technically supposed to be a uh, vertical series, which is, you know, there's this writer, and he has this run, and then it's over, but no, somehow he turned out to be the guy who moves, you know, from hand to hand to... Every other big British writer in DC and has his own story, and then, and also like Dredd, the character is supposed, was supposed to age up in real time. John Constantine was supposed to age up from arc to arc from story. Never buy that promise when people give it to you because 40 years later he'll still be exactly yeah, the same. Yeah, Judge Dredd is like in, in the actual comics, he's like, he's the law! 70 now? Well, I mean, it's a science, it's a science fiction setting, so you can always like make allowances for longer lifespans. Yeah. Okay, fine. But I mean, character-wise, you can always make the argument that at least with Constantine, there's enough to him that 
you know, like Brian Azzarello or Mike Carey or Peter Milligan or Warren Ellis or Jamie Delano or whatever. Like, there's enough to work with there. Judge Dredd as a character tends to conform to the same pattern over and over again, like Batman. Like, you know, Batman is never going to do something that is completely unexpected. And if writers try it, like when they killed off Bruce Wayne for two seconds and made him, sent him like back to the caveman era or, or something, there was a lot of weird stuff happening with Final Crisis. It's or, Morrison. Yeah. It's Morrison. Uh, was it Morrison who yeah, killed him yeah, off? Yeah, that was Morrison. That was Morrison. Oh, well, there you so, go. there you go. There you go. But like, I mean, Judge Dredd is it's like in the same way. No one, there, there's no point to try to tell meaningful stories with him. But then the flip side of that is if you put him in a meaningless story and, like, he's really just there to sort of accentuate the commentary on, like, you know, look how ridiculous Mega City 2 is with these cameras and this obsession with, you know, film filming and, like, it being photogenic and, and, and all of that artifice. But it's like, if you took Dread out of this story and put in a generic judge who was never named and just, like, did pretty much, like, it would be the exact same story. I you can't dis- really say that for Constantine. I disagree because the point of the story is the judge, the dread is the straightest of straight men. That all the straightness goes around him and he's, you know, blank faced, chin out. Exactly. Out. But it's not just an engineer that judge. It has to be the judge. I mean, this is like, that's the final reveal of the story, right? Uh, like, I'm not going to spoil it in detail, but it's like, you know, that supposedly what Walt goes for and it's a he it's a clever trick that he tried but it doesn't work like he he tries to do this thing at the end where like the characters flat out say you know this could not have worked with anyone else except you but the problem with that argument is like okay so you're basically saying that the only reason this story works in itself is that Judge Dredd is flat and like you know completely predictable because that's the thing like right they send him to Mega City 2 specifically because like he's the he one won't person. Be corrupted by it. Yeah, but well, I mean, what, what the the what he's told at the end is like, you know, you're so predictable that you know, obviously it was going to work out this way because people can like calculate down to the last decimal point every action that you're going to take and every response that you're going to have. Well, and it's like Walk is a critic. He's playing. Yeah, he's playing with the character. He's playing with the character on the one hand, but on the other hand, he doesn't subvert it because like that that ends think, up being the point. I don't think he should subvert it, and it's important that it's part of the. IDW uh, line sure. of Judge Dredd comics, which is ongoing for like two years now. Yeah, and it's a different. If anything else, you should find it interesting because because it's the American format. Right, it's completely different because it doesn't have the whole 2000 AD. You know, do it fast, do it now. Reading the there are Judge advantages Red, to that though. Yeah, there are advantages. I agree because Judge Dredd is like, as Warner said, it, it was the punk rock of comics. You know. Do it now, do it fast, do it simple, do it straight. And, but there are disadvantages, disadvantages, sorry. As you can see and you can hear, I'm not a native English speaker. Um, You're doing very well. Thank you, sir. Can I have some cookies? It's a smorgasbord. You can have whatever you want. <laughs> yes. Uh, the shortcuts that they take in the storytelling are sometimes amazing. You know, there's, Judge Red has captured one panel, the other panel. Dread has miraculously escaped. What? When? Yeah. When? No. Oh, oh, he did. Yeah. He did, apparently. Decompressionists need not apply. Yeah, and you can't do decompression with Ulysses Farinas because his whole deal is, you know, no, give me the space. Yeah. Let me do what I do best. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a very good work. I love that it's one issue per mystery and a huge story in the background. I think it has a problem. I think the, the ending wasn't very clear to me. 
I mean, basically. Oh, that's the that's the that's the ending. You know, it's like it was meta commentary. Yeah. It's like you know, it, it, it's Douglas Wolk saying, you know, the only reason that this plot works out the way it is, and like to the betterment of all, because that's also the thing, right? Like you know, it, it's it's an implicit approval of the way that Dread is, right? He's like, you know, any other judge that we had sent would have been like corrupted or would have failed, but but you are the one guy. Who everybody knew would do the right thing. And yeah, it's like, well... It's, it's interesting meh. the way Judge Red turned out to be because he was supposed to start off as a satire. And there sure. are still hints of that in the actual stories, but the stories can't actually mock Judge Dredd's uh, philosophy because he's the hero, not the protagonist. He's an outright hero. And you end up with this weird thing where it's like, yeah, it's a fascistic, futuristic city, but hey, Judge Dredd is so awesome. That's... I think like one of the and you can't you can't do it any other way. You can't be the you, bad you guy. Can. Not now. You could in the eighties. I don't know when they had the America storyline. No, not America. Chopper had like the whole point of Chopper. He was a character who lived in Mega City One, and he was like you know this airheaded uh, uh, surfer dude, sur- mid like levitating surfer dude, whatever. And Jet Dread was constantly chasing after him. Dread was the villain of that story. Okay. Now, not a villain in the sense that, like, you know, he's evil and has to be destroyed or whatever, but he's, like, you know, he's the authority figure that, like, you know, is bringing down the law in the harshest possible way, and Chopper's just a guy that wants to have fun. But you can't do it forever. That's the problem with those no. kind of stories. It's but like this those... story should have had that. Yeah, it's... I don't think so, because... But I... be- because what's the point of... I mean, Dread is currently being written by... Um, you know, the same writer who's been writing him for like years and years and years and years in 2000 Wagner? AD. No, why, why would Wagner. I say Wagner? Wagner. Yeah, Wagner. Um, I'm confusing between the two Wagner. Ma- not Matt Wagner. Yes. And not Kurt Wagner. Yeah. Um, oh, damn. We're, we're bad. Uh, th- yeah. This episode is going to be titled, you know, The Names. <laughs> the, the wrong names. But um, anyway, so, I mean, Dread has been written consistently in the pages of 2000 AD. For years and years and years and years now. If you're going to make an argument that IDW should be doing American versions John of... John Wagner. John Wagner. There it is. There it but, is. like, if you're going to make the argument that this comic needs to exist, like, you know, IDW, American version, American writer, Douglas Wolk is not associated with, like, you know, 2000 AD and, and what John Wagner does, there's... It seems to me like, like the imperative would be tell a different kind of story. You know? I mean... Even in the context of like, Dread goes to this weird city that is not Mega City One, uh, Meg City One, and like, it, it's this weird environment that he has to navigate. Even that has been done so many times in the pages of 2000 AD. So here it's like, and especially the fact that Wolk is a critic. It's like, you know, you should know by now that you, you, you know what the pattern is. Work against it. Like, because otherwise, you know, why read this? When you can read 2080. What, what does it give you? Uh, aside from, I mean, Ulysses Farinas, you know, it, it justifies the existence of the book up to a point. But I feel like, you know, this is the place to tell different kinds of dread stories. And there probably are. Like, you know, the, the Carl Urban movie didn't do well financially. It's not the biggest hit in the world, but it was, I thought it was it fantastic. Was great. It was one of the best movies of that year. Yeah. And why was it great? Because, you know, it, dread is there. But it's not his story, and he doesn't have to be like you know the the same sort of formulaic uh, you know it is the law and you have to be punished or, or whatever you know you you don't have to do that. You can tell other kinds of stories with him. Okay, that's that's just my you know. 
that was it. That was the first episode of the Smorgasbord. Yes. Join us. The all new, all different Smorgasbord. Yes. Join us in two weeks' time for yes. episode two, wherein we shall talk about stuff. Yes. Yes. New stuff. Yes, new stuff. I was Tom Shapiro. And I'm Sean Edry. We'll meet again. <laughs>